Welcome to the Question Community Broadcast. The Question is a new disruptive community that provides a gathering place for those who wonder about our complex selves, our complex world, our complex universe. We are a non-religious and inclusive community that explores the many questions surrounding truth in order to encourage you on the important journey to find your own answers. The Question Community gathers every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. Information on the community is available at our website, www.thequestion.ca. You can also join the community online at our Facebook page, which is The Question, and on Twitter, at TQCom, with two M's. You're now going to hear some highlights from our community gathering where the question is asked through original arts and music as well as thought-provoking presentations. This is Jeremy Park. This, this is about uh, if, uh, if, the, uh, if it was around the time of, uh, of the last recession, a little bit after I wrote this song, and I thought, what would happen if, uh, if we went back to the Depression era uh, and it was like like riding around in boxcars, and it was like dirty dust bowl and all that. But then we also had all our technology, our modern day technology, and how funny that might look. Uh, and so it was uh, it was kind of like a rumination on the end of the world and a rumination on, uh, uh, or sorry, the end of society. But uh, but it was kind of a scene where like this history that repeats itself would meet like. Uh, new technology or just the new ways of life. And it's, it's, it's a little funny. I try to put humor into songs. Coming soon 
Filthy crony little whimpers from the dust bowl Better tune up your banjo top Nothing but dirty rocks and worn out rock stars Yeah, well, I'll be in under the third Bumbling through the spell line I've been in and out of upstyle Pulling up our phones for free This is Frederick Tamagi. Freud's theory of the human psyche and the psychoanalytic method are rooted in his concepts of repression in our unconscious mind and expression in our conscious mind. His model of the interaction between the conscious and the unconscious was based on the notion that much of our conscious behavior is driven by repressed memories and ideas emanating from the deep well of our unconscious. Now, you may recall from the brief history I just covered that early in his career, Freud experimented with clinical hypnosis. Hypnosis therapy provided him with important early evidence of the unconscious repression to conscious expression pathway to various types of neuroses. His free association method, or talking cure, soon proved to be even more effective than hypnosis as a window into the patient's unconscious. This is because free association allowed the patient to be an awake, active participant in the processing of experiences, memories, and in particular, dreams. What became known as dream work was enormously important to Freud, as he believed dreams were the purest expression of the unconscious mind speaking out to the conscious world of the patient. Freud's visionary concept of the active and influential unconscious, both in the waking and the dream state, inspired Carl Jung to fully embrace the Freudian model in his early clinical practice. Ironically, it was this enthusiastic embrace that ultimately became the wedge that drove Jung and Freud apart. It was also, coincidentally, the birth story of synchronicity. How's that for a paradox? Let me explain why. When Freud was asked to explain his theory of 
the conscious and unconscious, to people like you and me. He often compared the human psyche to an iceberg floating in the ocean. This famous metaphor effectively illustrated that our conscious thoughts and behaviors were merely the visible outcropping of the submerged portion of the iceberg, our unconscious. The unconscious was depicted as the deeper and largely unknown dimension of ideas and memories stemming all the way back to the earliest stages of our childhood. In the Freudian iceberg, the action of dreams was regarded as an unconscious fulfillment of the deep inner wishes of the psyche. It's a testament to the power of this metaphor that even today, over 100 years later, the idea that we dream what we wish for still resonates with ordinary folks as being fundamentally true. The iceberg metaphor resonated in extraordinary way with Carl Jung as well, first as an inspiration to conform, then as an inspiration to disrupt. Now, his story of disruption is both true and quite extraordinary. In 1909, while he was still closely associated with Freud, Jung began a series of informal dinner conversations in Zurich with a new friend, Albert Einstein. At the time, Einstein was a professor of theoretical physics at the local university and was already deeply involved in his own disruptive journey, the creation of the theory of relativity. Einstein had introduced his initial ideas about the relationship between space, time, and gravity around 1905, but didn't complete his general theory of relativity until 1915. So between 1909 and 1913, right in the heart of Einstein's unraveling of the universe, he and Carl Jung regularly met over dinner to discuss their individual studies and share their thoughts. Unfortunately, none of these conversations were ever recorded in detail. What a shame. But later on in his career, Jung himself commented on the profound significance of these dinner conversations with Einstein. These are Jung's own words. Professor Einstein was my guest on several occasions at dinner. These were the very early days when Einstein was developing his first theory of relativity. And it was he who first started me thinking about a possible relativity of time as well as space and their psychic conditionality. His genius as a thinker exerted a lasting influence on my own intellectual work. I pumped him about his relativity theory. I'm not gifted in mathematics, and I went 14 feet deep into the floor and felt quite small. More than 30 years later, the stimulus led to my relationship with the quantum physicist Wolfgang Pauli and to my thesis of psychic synchronicity. Now, we won't talk about Wolfgang Pauli or quantum physics right now, but we will in synchronicity part two. For now, it's just important to know that this remarkable dialogue with Einstein prompted Carl Jung to see parallels between the new relativity model of space and time and his own evolving model of the human psyche. And does it not also raise some intriguing questions about how Jung may have in turn influenced Albert Einstein as he completed the general theory of relativity? Oh, you know, to be a fly in the soup at one of their dinners. Now, the final thing I'm going to share with you tonight is about Jung's disruptive model of the human psyche. Just as Einstein stood on the shoulders of Newton to expand our understanding of the universe, Carl Jung stood on the iceberg of Freud to expand our understanding of ourselves. The incredible four-year dialogue of Einstein and Jung 
speaks to a mutual interest in the possible links between new physics and new psychology. Einstein and Jung were both moving on that spectrum of ideas that I spoke of earlier. They were moving away from the proven towards the possible. Now, I mentioned earlier that Freud's iceberg model of the conscious and unconscious was partially validated by his extensive work with dreams. I also said that Freud believed dreams were generated by repressed memories, traumas, and wishes from deep inside the individual unconscious. Another way to frame this would be that Freud viewed the action of the unconscious as essentially self-contained and self-generating from within the bounds of our personal psychic iceberg. But as Freud's clinical practice grew, he was sometimes frustrated by accounts of dreams and images, often with ancient or even mythic themes, whose practical connection to the patient could not be easily identified. Freud rationalized that these puzzling, unconnectable dreams were not actually contradictions to his model of the self-contained unconscious. Instead, he theorized that some aspects of the personal unconscious were so severely repressed that even extensive psychoanalysis of these random mythic images might never yield a proper conscious explanation. Now, even though Jung was a long-standing follower and friend, he couldn't bring himself to accept either Freud's rationalizations or the inadequacy of Freud's psychic model. Jung concluded that Freud's view of the unconscious had to be incomplete, and that the key to its completion was embedded somewhere in those contradictions, those mysterious mythic dreams. Both Freud and Jung were themselves intense and vivid dreamers who regularly recorded their dream experiences. But it's yet another irony that the shared obsession with dreams would ultimately set them apart from one another. Freud's dream experiences led him to look inward. Jung's dream experiences led him to look outward. I have this mark on my hand, and I wonder what it gives away. Birthmark, fist scrape, stab wound, floodgates. Grade eight, classmate, back of class, desk straight ahead, he turns to instigate, to boy, to boy, initiate, to out of boredom, mutilate, with a paper clip in a fish hook shape. He used the weight of words as bait. Hey man, you ever heard of a wuss test? I scrape this paper clip back and forth across your hand, and the longer you last, the less of a wuss you are. Something about that wasp word wuss had a buzz so loud in my insecure ears. I lived in fear of those who would sting pinprick holes into what I had learned to puff up over the years. Wuss. So dutifully, I gave my hand. For as long as I could stand, 5.2 slices of a second hand, because the mark of man, so I was told then, was sopping up blood with full scat paper. Dreading the sting of disinfectant in silence. Only pussies use paper clips to hold paper together. Tough guys use paper clips to hold reputations together. But as the rules of the game entail, you never really pass a worst test. You just see how far you get before you fail. <laughs> Five seconds? That's pretty weak, dude. Like, that's really me, dude. 
Oh, hey, what's with your red cheeks, dude? You're gonna cry a little blue creek, dude? My only defense to see red, I blew up out of my desk, gave him one, two hands to the chest, the only proof I thought I had left. But there will always be another wuss test waiting around the corner to hook you in if you ever aren't the he and him and vicious whims and battle glims and battle hymns. There was somebody waiting on the banks with a word for you in hopes to twitch a nerve in you. And these days in my head, I have got paper clips full of newspaper clippings. Of every time boy challenged boy to a game of angry young men, I've got paper clips full of newspaper clippings. He beat him to death drunk at a party, later found out they were refugees from the same country. I've got paper clips full of newspaper clippings. They had a blade brawl behind a beat bar. I've got paper clips full of newspaper clippings. He was only 18. The altercation was one clipped shoulder, one paper-thin apology, and an ambush in an alley. And in a quote from the father, he said of his son, they beat him so bad I could only recognize him by his hands. And I wondered what the marks were that gave him away. You don't ever really pass a wuss test. You just decide not to play. Carl Jung's historic breakup with Freud over these important questions prompted him to go into a kind of depression, a self-examination exile of sorts. For three years, he lived a superhero-like existence. By day, he would go about his normal clinical work, but by night, he would alternately meditate and sleep, experiencing regular self-induced visions that he called active imaginations. On many of these nights, he would experience repeated intense explosions in both his waking and sleeping meditative states. He called this monumental three-year vision quest his confrontation with the unconscious. Between 1913 and 1916, Jung faithfully recorded his active imaginations, complete with detailed illustrations in a series of journals that would eventually become one of the most powerful esoteric works of the 20th century, the Red Book. Now, even though the contents of this journal would cast a profound light on the evolution of Jungian psychology, it's important to know that the journal itself was kept secret in his private office for his entire lifetime. On rare occasions, it's said that Jung did allow a handful of intimate friends who were sworn to secrecy to take brief looks at his journal, but he never allowed anyone to actually study it. Even after his death in 1961, the Red Book remained a virtual secret until 2009, when his family finally agreed to its general publication. So this, this book was only published in 2009. Now, the Red Book is an unbelievable treasure. It's full of unique visions, dreams, images, and detailed notes that we now know inspired two foundational concepts of analytical psychology. The concept of the archetype and the concept of the collective unconscious. Jung's concept of archetypes grew out of his observations of repeating patterns of thought, theme, and form that reoccurred time and time again across countries, continents, cultures, and most importantly, across history. These repeating patterns were widely manifested in art, architecture, and cultural imagery. 
Jung identified and then articulated the deeper ancient origins of many of these repeating patterns. He called these original patterns archetypes. It needs to be mentioned here that Carl Jung was truly a lifelong seeker of knowledge. In addition to his medical and psychiatric training, Jung was well-read in other diverse dis disciplines such as Eastern philosophy, anthropology, history, and theology. This broad-based knowledge led him to the theory that archetypes were actually inherited ancient forms, selectively inhabiting the unconscious mind of our entire species. And this was apparently without regard for space or time. His own confrontations with the unconscious, recorded in the Red Book, led him to conclude that he personally had seen visions and dreamt dreams that were timeless psychic forms shared with both our ancient ancestors and our future descendants. Archetypes themselves can operate in different ways. For example, basic archetypal narratives like creation or redemption or even the quest for truth or archetypal forms like circles or pyramids are evident worldwide and active throughout the entire history of man. But as a foundation for the conscious expression of human identity, it is archetypal figures that we are most familiar with. This is a list of basic archetypal figures that have grown out of Jung's paradigm. Just take a moment uh, and have a look at this. I want you to think about your own life in the context of these archetypes. Can you recall your earliest childhood recollection of any of these archetypes? Is there any way to explain why some or even one of these archetypes resonates with you more than the others? Can you recognize the various ways that you might act out your personal archetypes and actually become them in your conscious world? Carl Jung would have been adamant that these questions could be asked of any person at any time past, present, or future. Now, the final part of Synchronicity Part 1 begins with two of the key questions that Jung grappled with on his way to the theory of synchronicity. Where and how do archetypes exist in space and time? And how do archetypes enter our unconscious as companions to our normal human instincts and actual memories? His answers are something for us to grapple with. Now, Jung's decisive split with Sigmund Freud in 1913 was preceded and followed by two defining experiences that bear repeating. The experience that preceded the split was his four-year dinner dialogue with Albert Einstein, which exposed him to the new physics of space and time. The experience that followed the split was his three-year visionary Red Book period, where he encountered the ancient realm of the archetype, independently operating across space and time. Now, these incredible interrelated experiences pointed Jung toward the possible existence of an important third component of the human psyche. It's an ancient dimension that precedes and informs our unconscious. It's a dimension of archetypes and ancient memories that are shared by our entire species. It's a dimension much deeper and more expansive than our personal unconscious. He called it the collective unconscious. The collective unconscious was a representation of what Jung called the psychic life of our ancestors. 
He saw the collective unconscious as flowing from wherever and whenever the beginning was, surrounding and informing us in our current existence, but also continually renewing and ready for those not yet born. To illustrate this new dimension, Jung modified the Freudian iceberg metaphor to include the presence of the collective unconscious. Not surprisingly, the new metaphor includes the ocean, the vast unbounded medium that is the liquid form of the very same elements that created the iceberg. I also found myself thinking that Jung's iceberg could be an interesting, perhaps unintended metaphor for the question of synchronicity itself. Ask yourself, which is more important? For us to dissect and completely prove the individual elements of Jung's metaphor? Or is it more important for us to just simply reflect on the elegant notion that it is all water? How open are you to the idea that coincidental events really do happen for a deeper reason? Does the historic connection, which maybe some of you knew, but maybe some of you didn't, between Einstein and Jung, physics and psychology, inspire a new way of thinking about coincidence and synchronicity? Can you think of a personal story of coincidence that you might now question in a new way? Thank you for listening. If you're interested in joining the Question community, we meet every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary starting at 7. You can participate in the online discussion on our Facebook page, which is The Question, or on Twitter at TQCom. That's at T-Q-C-O-M-M. Our website is www.thequestion.ca. Thanks again for listening, and remember that our answers are only possible because of our questions.